I was a mouthpiece of Israeli propaganda. It's literally what I was brainwashed with, just being a middle-class white person. This is a Dao legend, Sheikh Abdurrahim Green, a man who dedicated his life to calling people to Islam. It needs no introduction, but not many people know this, and I was shocked and inspired to hear that Palestine was central to his conversion to Islam and his vision in life for Dawah. And we had seen pictures of Israeli soldiers breaking the arms of nine-year-old kids, so they'd pinned down these kids and uh, they were breaking their arms with rocks. They were gassed by unknown chemical gases. What can we do? Well, how can we help? The brother who had been taking us around, all driving us around all of this time, he said something that always stuck with me. I spoke to him to get the whole story of his surprising connection to Palestine for this episode of Empowered by Islam 21C, our new weekly podcast where we collaborate with leading voices to discuss Islam solutions to 21st century challenges and trends. I think that every revert has, when they think about the things that help them become Muslim. There are always a few key things, like reading the Qur'an and Tawheed, but you understand that the Allah created some space in your life, in your mind, for you to be able to accept being a Muslim, because you can accept the philosophical ideas, but just never be able to embrace what it entails to be a Muslim. You just can't avoid the fact that being a Muslim is going to, by necessity, take you on a journey of embracing, to some degree, some ethnic, cultural, political positions. You can't avoid it. And Palestine, by the way, is just one of those positions. It is almost inconceivable that you could be a Muslim and not support in some way the cause of the Palestinians and the cause of Palestine, not least because there's Masjid al-Aqsa, it's a holy land for the Muslims, it has such great significance. So I think that in my journey of becoming Muslim, one of the hugely important events, which was transformative for me from the point of view of just my perspective of hypocrisy of the West and just looking at the world through a different lens was a very interesting night that I had with a Palestinian family. There were these Christian Palestinians. My dad was working in Egypt from the age of nine. He went to Egypt. He worked there. I spent my holiday. I was at school, but I go to Egypt for my holiday. So I, I must have been about 16, I reckon. And my parents were playing bridge which is a quite sophisticated card game, which I never could get my head around. They were playing bridge with this family, Palestinian Christian family, very sophisticated, mm. very rich. But they said, why don't you come along? I said, what am I going to do? And they said, well, Charlie will be there. He, that's their son. You can talk to him. So I thought, okay, why not? That sounds, I don't mind that. Now, at this time, context, the Israeli army had surrounded Beirut, the IDF had surrounded Beirut, PLO was basically holed up in Beirut, and they were bombing the crap out of Beirut. Mm. You know, this was all over the news, it wasn't being reported actually really in a very positive way at all. My friend, you know, I say my friend, he became my friend. <laughs> uh, so Charlie, I was sitting down with Charlie, this happy, chubby, you know, really super nice guy. Yeah. And he just said, what do you think of what's going on now, you know, in Beirut? So I said, you know, Israel, it's literally like I was a mouthpiece of Israeli propaganda. I don't remember consciously anyone sitting down propagandizing to me. It's literally what I was brainwashed with, just being a middle-class 
white person reading English newspapers and watching English TV. That's mm. just what it is. So I was parroting, you know, Hitler killed six million Jews. This is the land that God promised to them. Obviously, being a Catholic, being Christian, you know, you have that connection, that biblical thing. You don't question any of that. So, yeah, it's the promised land for the Jews. A land without a people, for a people without a land. It was a desert. It was just, you know, inhabited by these savages, you know, these almost savage people, the Palestinians, and they came and they made it green. And, you know, they've got to defend themselves because there's like, you know, 20 million Arabs just ready to eliminate them at the drop of a hat. It's not that they're bad people, they're just like fighting for their existence. So this was the sort of narrative, this is basically what I said to him, you know, completely without any, you know, without any, it's like, yeah, no, yeah, what's happening in Beirut is bad, but basically the rest of the night, Charlie just bit by bit, point by point, just talked me through everything and just demolished it. One of the very powerful things he said to me is, he just said, like, and I still use this argument, it's so ridiculous, the idea that it's their promised land, because they lived there a few thousand years ago. Can, he said, can you imagine how absurd the world would be if everybody else started making claims like that? If, you know, people whose ethnic ancestors used to live in a land 2,000 years ago started saying, now this land belongs to us because our ancestors lived there. Or claimed ancestors. Or, or claimed ancestors. Even, no, but even, forget, even if they really were their ancestors. Yeah. I mean, let's just take it at face value. It's still absurd. Of course, it becomes even more absurd when you realize that actually a lot of them are converts to Judaism on top of that. They're not even ethnically Semitic, which are cousins. Literally, they are genetically connected ethnic Jews who lived in Palestine and have for generations and generations alongside with Arabs. They are genetically cousins. Mm -hmm. They are indistinguishable. Arabs and ethnic Jews, ethnic Israelis or ethnic Beni Israel, as the Quran would call them. Genetically, you can't distinguish them. They are literally cousins. But this is obviously different from European and, you know, Russian and, and uh, you know, Ukrainian <laughs> converts to Judaism or, 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 you know, or others, right? But the point was, even if we would accept them all as being ethnically, it, it's, it makes no sense because Denmark... And Norway and Sweden could claim huge swaths of Great Britain because the Vikings lived there for quite a long time. King Canute and the Vikings lived in England for a long time, so maybe they should just claim Yorkshire and bits of Scotland and Ireland and Wales. And like, imagine everyone started doing that, it would be mad. So that, that was like, that makes sense. That's not a very good argument. And then he went through the whole making the desert green stuff. He said, that's nonsense, right? My ancestors lived in Palestine. They farmed the land there. He's, and he was just going through describing. And now he might have even show me pictures of his family and their farms and this and that. And that really didn't make much sense, yeah. And again, he said, like, but why do the Palestinians have to suffer? Because Hitler killed six million Jews, right? Surely the people who should suffer should be the Germans. If anyone needs to have, there needs to be a homeland and look after them and be land be given over them, it should be in Germany, nowhere else, right? Let alone Palestine. Why? So he just went through and it was just logical. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't, for me, there was no emotional connection. I was just saying what I had heard. Mm. So by the end of the evening, it was a massive paradigm shift for me. The thing that almost upset me the most is this thing that I was left in my head 
Why have I never heard this before? That was the big paradigm shift in my whole life. I've been lied to my whole life. Yeah, this is way before I started even thinking about Islam. I was thinking about different religions, but it was a huge opening to me in the way I began to analyze world news. Like long before I became Muslim, I was completely disillusioned with the whole idea of Western human rights, I just began to realize the whole thing was selective. It was just used selectively in order to target whoever they perceived at any particular stage were, were an enemy. They were quite happy to bring down democracies and impose dictatorial regimes fascist regimes mm. in order to advance their economic interests. And I was switching on to this as a 16 year old kid. And I read a lot, I was a big reader. I read, I, I, you know, and I used to read the newspapers, but this perspective that this Palestinian gave me that just began to make me analyze everything with a different perspective, it was revolutionary in my thinking, you know? So I have that guy to thank. But I do also think that I had to get to that place because, and I think that's what my dad always struggled with, although, alhamdulillah, he did become Muslim in the end. But I realized that he always struggled with the fact that, and he said it to me, I'm an establishment man. Like, I'm rooted in the establishment. You know, he was in, the, he was in mili military intelligence in the war. He was, you know, worked for the World Bank. He was an international banker. He was, mm -hmm. you know, new ambassadors. He ha had a, you know, a MBE, mm -hmm. CB, MBE, CB. I don't know which one is where he had both. Um, so he was like, he felt really rooted in the establishment. And I think he knew for a long time in, in his heart that Islam was the truth. But he realized that becoming Muslim meant that you had to discuss. He, he understood that as well. And he couldn't, in a sense, maybe do that in the way that I could. <laughs> so I, I'm just saying that this evening with a Palestinian gave me that space. And I think it was a part of that space that, alhamdulillah, through Allah's permission, Allah guides who wants mm -hmm. to guide. But I look at it as part of how Allah had prepared my mind to, you know, accept Islam. You mentioned that, that after this young Palestinian guy kind of de-radicalized you and undid the brainwashing, you you actually became like an advocate for the Palestinian cause. Can you tell I, us I, I mean, a bit more you know, about that? The school I walked around everywhere, the Palestinian scarf. I used to like have it everywhere. Um, you know, like it was just things like that. But later when I did become Muslim, very early, this is, must have been probably in the first year of me being a Muslim, very early in my journey into Islam, that it was also the time of the first intifada. And we had seen pictures of Israeli soldiers breaking the arms of nine-year-old kids. You know, so they, they pinned down these kids uh, and uh, they were breaking their arms with rocks because these kids were throwing stones. And these images went viral, what would have been, like there was no internet at that time, but they were published on the uh, news channels and people were just like, what on earth is this? This is just disgusting. There was a group of British Muslims, mostly headed by, by Yusuf Islam, but there was like 18 of us. We went out to see for mm. ourselves. I mean, it was quite interesting because we were pitching our whole story to the newspapers. The Independent was just about launched. They were the only one who actually actually even got back to us. And they basically said, we'll only really publish a story if one of you gets killed. Otherwise, we're not really interested. That's literally what it was. You know, it's sort so of like, it was a literally like, yeah, try and get one of you killed and then maybe... So you're looking at each other saying, you know, not me, not me. 
by the time we got there, and I, it didn't take long. I think you know a few of us might have volunteered for that because it literally didn't take us long. Like mm. day one off the aeroplane, uh, we went to a hospital. In this hospital, you know, I saw things that you know you never ever expect to see in your life. I saw a kid who'd been run over by Israeli jeep. He had a he had a stitches were literally like an L shape big like you, you can imagine like what you think Frankenstein patched together stitches all the way down his stomach we saw kids who had been shot by dum-dum bullets the doctor was saying we can't take out all the fragments of these bullets they're banned by the Geneva Convention we can't take out all of these fragments because there's too many small fragments and it will literally they wouldn't have a body left so we have to leave the small ones in and in 30 years time they will eventually poison their bloodstream and they will eventually it will contribute to their early death basically um, they were gassed by you know, unknown chemical gases <clears throat> that were supplied by the united states of america we saw the canisters they didn't know like most of these they're they're supposed to have an antidote but they didn't know the antidote so this is what i saw day one i can't say that what unfolded was a series of horrors because it wasn't it was almost the opposite what unfolded in front of our eyes was just heroic it was hero the her heroism of the palestinians just ordinary people just being heroic in an amazing way the stoicism the heroism their ability to endure hardship and still have a smile and i saw subhanallah i saw one of these so many videos it's like I, you can't keep up with them this is family just sitting down um making bread with a little fire and just laughing and you know like not a worry in the world and they're just sitting amongst the ruins sitting amongst rubble and laughing and someone was commenting look at these people look who's happy in a time like this but i saw this with my eyes i saw wow. this uh, i don't remember where it was uh, what part but basically the israeli had arrived two o'clock in the morning taken the family out of the house and demolished the house in front of them because their son had been accused of having taken part in a peaceful demonstration this is what the family said wow. they immediately started to try and rebuild their house the israelis said if you touch it you will be shot this is here as an example to everybody to see what happens when you do something like that or when your children do something like that now you know how would you expect people to be who had gone through that you'd expect them to be crying depressed tearing their hair out i you know in a state of mental confusion nope they were camped outside their house in a little sort of quick made tent making tea assalamu alaikum wa alaikum assalam kifa alhamdulillah alham like it's that alhamdulillah with a smile like what it's like, I mean, I was a Muslim at this time. So it wasn't that I was surprised. It was just so beautiful to see it. I mean, that's what I expect. That's what, how I would expect a Muslim to be, although many will not be like that, right? And lots of people, heroic and heroism is a, is a word that many people will use to describe the Palestinians, mashallah, especially the people of Gaza. Um, they've, they've, they've inspired so many people across the world and many people are even looking into Islam as a result. You know, of their steadfastness, what we can see from just their reliance. They're, they're being bombarded, they're being subjected to extermination attempt after extermination attempts from the last few several decades. And, you know, it's just it's just kind of increasing their spirit of, of resistance, of resolve, of tawakkul in Allah, 
And there's something special about the tarbiyah that the people of Gaza have been receiving, subhanAllah. It's that type of attitude. The stories I heard of people in prison, what they went through, what they were subjected to, but the camaraderie that existed between the prisoners. The Israelis were devising things to try and divide the prisoners one from each other and to get them to fight. And so they'd give them, for example, an olive each. An olive, everyone would have one olive. That's sometimes all they would be fed, an olive. But they'd give one extra olive, one extra one, just to, but it would not, they would just sort of divide it up between themselves or give it to the person who needed the most. Like, these are the stories they were telling. Like, they knew this was happening to them on purpose. This may not seem heroic to anyone, but it was really heroic to me. Mm. And to see these kids and to these, see these people. And I think the first, the, the, re, the thing about the intifada, the first intifada, is that unlike most of what had happened before, it was mostly motivated by Islam. It was a, it was a religious movement. It was something that the people were inspired and motivated by primarily by religion, not by nationalism, right? Not by some left-wing, you know, um, kufr ideology that you have with, you know, the PLO and the Palestinian Authority, right? Who are just secularists, right? Nothing to do, right? They may be Muslim nominally, but as an ideology, nothing to do with Islam. But the Intifada was not like that. It was the grassroots of it was Muslims and Shaykh, and it was a resistance that came from the heart of faith. And and how strange, you know, in a way that it was just way more effective. It had more impact. It was more effective than anything they'd tried before. It was a time of. Um, of hope. Another interesting thing I'm going to mention, we know actually from the Quran that they know about the Prophet Muhammad. <clears throat> the people of knowledge amongst them, and I have met rabbis, I have met rabbis in speaker school, and I've talked with them. I've, I, I, maybe I would say we were on, maybe not friends, but we were very friendly. I was friendly with some rabbis, yeah. Um, and they said to me, we know Muhammad's a prophet. Two, at least two, if not three of them said to me. Even one of them quoted to me, said, and this is why, this is how we know it's written here in the Torah. Yeah, and if Allah says in the Quran, يَعْرِفُونَهُ كَمَا يَعْرِفُونَ أَبْنَاءَهُمْ They recognize him like they recognize their own sons. Yeah, the, 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 the Jewish scholars would, would know about the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam about the truth of his prophethood. That, that visit to, um, uh, visit to Palestine, to Al-Quds, to, the, to Gaza, um, the West Bank it was you know what impact did it leave on you and, and your and your vision for your life that's a good yeah it's interesting because as we were leaving obviously I can't remember how long we were there it was probably over a week we were all moved and obviously we felt we wanted to do something try and do something um, and I, I think it was probably Yusuf Islam who said what can we do? Well, how can we help? The brother who had been taking us around, all driving us around all of this time, he said something that always stuck with me. He said, go back and invite the people to Islam. Because if the people become Muslim, they'll be with us. They'll be our brothers. And we know they'll support us. I think it's only later that I began to appreciate how deep and profound what he said was. And there was something very rare in his statement. Rare in the sense that when someone is really immersed in their own oppression, I mean, you, 
any situation where you are so immersed in it, we have a saying, you can't see the wood for the trees, right? Meaning that you can't see the forest. You, you, you can't even see the, the fact that there's just a forest, but there's also hills and mountains and rivers. And all you see is the trees. That's just all you can see, right? You just see wood. You just see trees. You can't, you can't see. Your mind somehow does not let you have a bigger vision, right? That's what it means, right? Um, and it's not a good perspective to have. And that it was his ability, despite everything, to see the bigger picture that, in retrospect, was just so impressive to me that he realized that it's not about Palestine. It's not even about Al-Quds. It's not about us and what we Palestinians are going through. He said, he was almost saying, it's not really what's important. What's really important is La ilaha illallah, that the people hear this message of Islam. That was very deep and very profound. And more so because of who it came from and mm. the circumstance and the situation that person was in. And you know, I think there's something we don't say it enough. We do not say this enough. Because there's, it, there is this narrative, and I, this is being pushed out, that is trying to belittle the idea of Ummah, that no, it doesn't exist. You know, that all oh, these people in Bangladesh, what have they got in common with, you know, a Muslim in America or a Muslim in Nigeria? They've got nothing in common. Yeah, this, this idea of Ummah, it's not there. There's not really this. It's, it's simply not true. Maybe if you are some sick, hardened, individual and your heart is covered in rust because you're immersed in materialism and nationalism and your own petty little i love my country yeah and i love my culture if you're lost in that quagmire and that swamp yeah then no you won't feel it of course you won't because you're sick but i have traveled all over the world and i have stepped off the airplane and i've met my brothers I have met people who I feel instantly connected to as if I have known them all my life. And one of the things that I think that constantly resurfaces every time there's a bombing of Gaza, it's almost like it's this, it is this routine, but, but you know what? It reminds you that there is this connection. There are people I follow Sometimes I follow them on social media for different reasons. I don't always follow the people I agree with. I don't follow the people I like. I don't follow necessarily the people who they're on the same minhaj as me, right? I want to know what other people are thinking, yeah? But, it, you know, to see this outpouring of support from this hugely diverse, someone you'd never think, but maybe they're not even, you never look at them and think, oh, that's a Muslim, but they deeply care about mm. Palestinians, they care about Islam, they care about their religion, looking at them, you may never think about it. Look at their social media account, you wouldn't even get a clue. But then, for the last two weeks, all they've been doing every day is posting about what's going on in Gaza. And it's like, oh, you haven't seen my usual light-hearted stuff? Sorry, you ain't going to see that while this is happening. I can't be quiet. I can't be silent. So how do you say there's no connection? How do you say there's no real ummah? Where, what's this from then? What is this? Except that, that there is this, between the believers, there is this deep connection that mm. runs there. And, and this is something, mashallah, the sort of thing, I love it when Sheikh Haytham, you know, he, he reminds us that these things are 
Allah is bringing the ummah up. Allah is preparing us for something bigger and better. And it's true. I, I think from mm. what's true from one point of view, we're not ready. And we don't love each other as we should. And we don't care about each other as we should. And I, I do have some sympathy with those people who maybe, if they mean by that, the ummah is not as it should be, and we're not as connected as we should be, and we don't love each other as we should, then I, I'm down with that. That's true, right? But to somehow claim it's not there at all, no, 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 that's not the case. Alhamdulillah, Allah's put love in the hearts of the believers. So what do you say to someone who might say, you know what, you just hate Jews. Lots of people are saying this, you know, that people who are against Israel or people who are supporting Palestine. Actually, the reality is you don't care about Palestinians or whatever, but you just hate Jews. Do you hate Jews? What? Not at all, no. No, no way. I told, someone said this, to, someone was close to me, was unfortunately got into trouble uh, because of a pro-Palestinian stance that this particular person took and actually got fired from work as a result of it because a senior executive woman who was a Jew started arguing with this person so in the personal you know whatsapp messages she said some stuff about Jews you know that were too generalized and I said listen I said number one your mother was a Jew I mean Safia was a Jew she was a Jewess yeah I said half the rabbis of Medina they became Muslim Right? Please don't say this uh, as if it, you know you're going to blanket every Jew. And we've seen we've seen the Orthodox Jews standing there side by side. There are, I think, as of last week, I heard a hundred a hundred Jewish people in prison yeah. for supporting Palestine, and probably it's a lot more. Uh, and there are people protesting. We've seen it in New York and this and that. So we need to recapture this narrative because this is just the offloading of European anti-Semitism or anti-Semitic guilt and projecting it onto others um, who themselves are Semites, like the Palestinians you know, and, and the Arabs in general. So no, it's terrible. You know, Muslims have had no such you know, a bad history with Jews uh, throughout our history. In fact, it's been the opposite. No, I mean, you know, I just listened to Hamza Sultzis and he's, you know, he quotes them. He gets the quotes off the top of his head, you know, about the how the the Jews were welcomed and looked after in the Ottoman uh, by the Ottoman Empire. But even before that, the the Jews flourished. They had, you know, what's considered their golden age in under in Islamic Spain, and even the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Yes, it ended unfortunately for some of the Jews in a, in a bad way because of their treachery. But the Prophet, he made an alliance with the Jews. He made treaties with them. They were actually one community, as we know from the what's it, the Treaty of Medina. I, I can't remember it, what, exactly what it's called, but the treaty that they all made, they all agreed. The Constitution of Medina, they all agreed. You know, to work together to defend each other. See, when when Europeans have an issue with Jews, it's always been because they hate Jews, or you know, they ingrained anti-Semitism for you know a thousand plus years, and obviously Muslims against Muslims as well, because the Arabs are, are historically Semites and stuff. But when when you know historically, when when Muslims have had an issue with someone who happens to be a Jewish, 
or a group or like you know today we're seeing in Palestine it's not because they're Jews their Jewishness is just incidental I always say if there were you know Inuits or Eskimos who came out of the igloos and started you know oppressing Palestinians or Mexicans or Japanese people they would be just as angry about you know the usurpation of their land being put into the world's open biggest open air concentration camp you know being subject to apartheid uh, illegal occupation and, and aggression on a daily basis it's not because they're Jews that they're upset about this it's because of all of that stuff absolutely I, in fact that they, they would m- m- arguably there might be some genuine racism I mean actually Palestinians do look at and Arabs in general do look at Jews as their cousins and they say our cousins it's just I just don't think they have quite the same level of sort of um maybe hatred and envy and i i don't know what it is it's even you see from palestinians today they don't you don't feel that from them at all and something really profound you'd never i won't say never but almost inconceivable that you would find a palestinian especially a muslim a genuine muslim ever feeling happy about the death of a Jewish baby just because it's, you know, because, I mean, apart from anything, we look at children as innocent, but no one would feel joy about something like that. No one would feel happy that, yeah, we're killing all these Jewish babies. I don't, I really genuinely would be surprised to find maybe one or two, but even that, I I don't think they exist. I just don't think people like that exist because it's genuinely not a sentiment that Muslims... In, in fact, it exists you know, on the other side, unfortunately. Yes, know, it does. It genuinely does. Celebrating yes. the death and they of say it. in Gaza. Okay, last question, Sheikh. If there's one thing our audience would remember from this podcast, it would be? My main message is, really my main message is, if you know about Palestine, you know the history, you know the situation, you're even a little bit acquainted with it, even more so if you're a Palestinian, right? Talk to people. White people like me, the background I came from, genuinely, most of them don't know. They're not necessarily bad people. They've just been indoctrinated. Just present them the facts. Don't get emotional. Don't scream at them. Don't get what, because they don't know, right? And it doesn't help, by the way, if you get emotional and you whatever. Just present the facts. Rearrange the facts. and Give them logical simple logical explanations that makes it well it worked with me it you know it definitely worked with me and i'm sure it will work with others as well so that's like my advice i'd love to give to everybody is that talk about it because people do change their minds